0: It's good to see everybody this evening um, here at uh, Parkway Baptist Church. As you know, since you're not here, you, you got word that we've uh, got some um, uh, some a possible surge happening with the COVID, and so tonight we took some precautions and just went ahead and um, suspended tonight's service and went to live went to live feed and Facebook Live because we have a pretty big Sunday with uh, honoring. Steve Krell on his last Sunday with us, and we're going to be ordaining him Sunday evening. And so, you know, if we hit ten, ten positive tests, ten cases, we we said we were going to go back to live feed. So we're, we're hoping that this will, by not having everyone here tonight, it will help keep it from spreading. So. Join me in 2 Corinthians. It's weird not having Colton here and not having people everywhere. It's, it's just kind of strange we're going through this, kind of having these same issues about this exact time last year. So um, I don't know what to think about that, but anyway. So 2 Corinthians, if you've got your Bible, I know it's up there. And we are in actually, I think we stopped in chapter 7 last week. But I'm going to back up, so I've got a solid hour with you, uh, with just me, and then uh, we'll we'll hit the uh, prayer request and the announcements here in just a second. I mean, I mean, when we're almost when we're done, about 15 minutes uh, till the uh, top of the hour. So, Second Corinthians. Here we go. The book, the first letter of Paul to the church at Corinth, was written from Ephesus, while this letter was written from Philippi. Paul had sent Titus, and this is the same Titus that has the letter named after him in the New Testament. Paul had sent Titus to Corinth because he could not go himself. So Titus was to have met Paul and Timothy at Troas with a report on the church at Corinth, but Titus did not arrive. We have that evidence in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. When Titus did not come, Paul and Timothy went on to Philippi where Titus brought good news from Corinth. And in this letter, specifically 2 Corinthians, Paul gives us more of his personal history and his own feelings than any of his other writings. So if you really want to know the heart of Paul, read 2 Corinthians and spend some time in that letter. The central message that we've gone over several times is just think of comfort, the comfort of God through Christ. And if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you will notice that that word is used multiple times in this first chapter. I I normally, when, when a word is used like that multiple times, I typically take my Bible and a pen, and I, and I circle it because that's a very important theme that God is working through the text. And in this case, it's comfort, through, comfort of God through Christ. And the affliction, you can just read that uh, for yourself. There are several themes in there that are wonderful. The structure of the book, The Comfort of God, that's where we uh, ended last Wednesday, was on chapter 7. And then Christian giving, chapters eight and nine, and, and tithing and giving uh, sacrificially to the church of your of your income or of your possessions. And eight and nine, and then Paul's defense of his apostles, apostleship in chapters ten through thirteen. So uh, I'm going to go quickly through chapters one through seven, just kind of go through them, and then we'll kind of slow down at seven and, and go uh, go go more. I can't talk tonight. Go deeply into the text, okay? So the comfort of God, Paul's sufferings in Ephesus were serious. His condition was such that we have the sentence of death in our lives that we should not trust in ourselves but in God. So there was um, there were some times in Paul's sufferings in Asia where they literally thought they were going to die, and God came and comforted them in their affliction. Uh, comfort and consolation are used 10 times in five verses, what I was just mentioning about chapter 1. Uh, it is the same word used for the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the paraclete, uh, we know in the Greek is what the word is, so the comforter. Paul uses his own sufferings as a testimony to Corinth that God sustains and comforts so that he might comfort others. His desire whoops, sorry. His desire and plan is to go to Corinth, but God changed his plans. And one of the things I like to, to put in here about this chapter, an uh, old friend of mine from Greenville, Mississippi that, that deals with um, uh, people who are trying to escape alcohol and drug abuse you see that a lot um, in in that form of ministry. Is that the, like myself? Those that have uh, that God has helped to escape drug and alcohol abuse, then in turn have the desire to go back and help other people to escape from that through through the grace and forgiveness that is that is found only in Christ Jesus. And so, you know, who better of a person to reach an alcoholic or a drug abuser than a Christian that used to be an alcoholic and drug abuser, and so forth. You know, who better to, um, to help someone who has lost a child than someone who has lost a child? All, the, all that runs accordingly. So even in our, and I think the point that, that God makes through this is that even our worst trials and tribulations, God uses them and forms ministry in us that we then in turn can share with others and help them through their trials and tribulations. Okay, note that the Holy Spirit in verse 21 uh, establishes the believer... The Holy Spirit anoints the believer. The Holy Spirit seals the believer. And the Holy Spirit is the earnest, the pledge of more to come. So the Holy Spirit, he is a big deal in our lives. The reason why Jesus ascended into heaven was to send us the paraclete, was to send us the comforter. So we need to understand what the Bible teaches uh, about the Holy Spirit. And Paul has given us some, some great stuff here. Uh, in Second Corinthians, so the Holy Spirit establishes us, anoints us, seals us, and the Holy Spirit is the earnest, the pledge of more to come. So, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we know that Jesus' promises are true. All right, Chapter Two. Uh, chapter Two is that is this is difficult situation that is revisited again from First uh, Corinthians, Chapter Five where we had this, uh, this uh, son that had taken his, uh, his stepmother is, is what, we, what we have gleaned from the text, horrible, uh, adulterous situation, incestual, incestual, adulterous situation, and um, the church was not confronting it. The, the church in Corinth was not confronting it. They were prideful about it. They were taking no action. Uh, they were not grieving over it and heartbroken over it. And so this, this just completely disturbed Paul to his core. He wrote a very strong message to them in 1 Corinthians. And now it seems as though that this problem has, has fixed itself, that there has been repentance. And Paul is saying to restore this man into the fellowship. So now we find that the person who repented, now Paul urges them to restore him in the fellowship. Uh, and he says, refusal to forgive him would give Satan an advantage because we are commanded as believers uh, to forgive people as God has forgiven us. And so when we when we stop doing that, when we stop extending forgiveness to others, then we are not acting in a godly way. We are actually acting like the enemy. And so we give Satan an advantage. So always remember that. We must forgive. Uh, we are commanded. Forgiveness is not a choice with us. Uh, we must forgive as Christians. And then verses 14 through 17, we talked about this for a moment, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, uh, especially verse 14. So if you're keep trying to keep up in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, uh, where he talks about Christ leading us in triumphal procession. And most historians believe that Paul has a Roman triumph in mind. Uh, when the Roman army had come back uh, from the defeat of a foreign nation and when they come into the city, there's all this pomp. The Roman emperor and the generals, uh, you know, come in first, and at the very end uh, are the slaves or those the prisoners of war that come in. And when they come through, they are burning this incense. And the incense just kind of fills all the air in the entrance of the city of Rome. And so it's this idea that they come in and just like Christ, when Christ, uh, when, you know, when we, when we as Christians, when we go places that, that we have, we give off this aroma of Jesus. So it's really, it's a, it's a fascinating uh, illustration that he gives in those few verses. Okay. Um, chapters three and four, he talks about the old covenant as compared to the new covenant. We talked about that for just a second. In the old covenant, uh, the old covenant brings death and the new covenant brings life. In other words, and the law is not bad, Paul tells us that a lot, but the law uh, awakens our conscience fully to sin and the fact that we, we are sinners and that we can never fulfill God's law. And in order for us to fulfill God's law, we have to believe in the one that died, that died in our place, and that's Jesus Christ. So um, he goes into all that in chapters 3 and 4. So the old covenant was of the letter of the law. The new is of the spirit, written on fresh tables of the heart. And the old covenant killeth the new, giveth life and the old covenant was one of condemnation and the new of righteousness. And that's the righteousness that we have through, through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on Calvary's cross and our faith and belief in him and the Holy Spirit imparts bring, comes into our, into, our, into our souls and imparts life to us. We have forgiveness of sin and then we have this new birth uh, in, in Jesus. So that's, that's, that's what he's talking about, the comparison of the old way to the new way, okay? the old covenant, though done away, was glorious, meaning that there was nothing wrong with the old covenant. Uh, It just could not bring life. It it brought death. It was good in the sense that it brought the truth, but it still did not bring life as the new covenant does. So he says the old covenant, though done away, the old covenant done away, as Hebrews teaches throughout the the whole letter, the new is glorious. So the old was glorious, but the new is glorious, meaning that is which remains old covenant in the face of Moses, the new shines from the face of Jesus. So Moses was the one that brought us the covenant of the law. Jesus is the one that brings us the covenant of grace. So, okay, the symbol of the old covenant was the veil. The new is the mirror. And then he gives you a, uh, a memory verse there in verse 17. I believe that's chapter 3. Uh, yes, chapter 3, Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom in Christ. Freedom from the law, freedom in Jesus, because he has fulfilled the law. Okay? And that doesn't mean, don't misunderstand that, that doesn't mean that you're free to do ever to do anything you want to do. That's not what that means. That you're free from the condemnation that comes with the law. You're free in Christ. You're free in the life of Jesus. Okay? And if you're saved, you know what that means. It's like you before, you're, before you, you get born again, you kind of carry around this weight of guilt over sin and those types of things. And then when you're saved, that, that is just miraculously lifted off of you like an anvil off the top of your head. I, I know when I got saved, that's exactly, exactly what I felt like because I, there was no way that I could go back and undo everything that I had done wrong, all the sins I had committed against God, and man, there was no way for me to go back and undo all that. Couldn't do it. Some, of it I, some things I could, but not, not everything, not from the very beginning. There was no way. And so God, through Christ, is the only one that can bring that freedom, that salvation, that forgiveness to you, and your belief in who Jesus Christ is. Okay, moving on here. So we see the differences between the Old and New Covenants. We are made mirrors to reflect the glory of the Lord. Uh, he gives you uh, chapter 4, verse 6. Yes, chapter 4, verse 6. I'm in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ, man, that's powerful. I love his summary summary verses. Okay, <clears throat> so what comfort we should find in Second Corinthians four seven through ten? This is that um, this is that treasure in jars of clay. There was a, a music group that came out years ago called Jars of Clay. They were really good, and that's where that's where they got their name from was this passage right here. Uh, talking about us, we we are actually the jars of clay. And we have this treasure. So we ask, what is this treasure? That's always the question. Well, if you want to know what that is, once again, Second Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. So we're the jars of clay. Paul was a jar of clay. And we have this treasure. So what is this treasure? You go backwards to verse 6, which is what he, what he referenced in the previous scripture. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So this treasure that we have in jars of clay is light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So it's, it's salvation, it's Jesus, it's the indwelling Holy Spirit, that treasure, that treasure that we have, okay? Um, verses eight and nine, Whoops, sorry, going too fast here, I don't have Colton to slow me down a little bit. Uh, now if we look at verses eight and nine, notice he says, uh, this is just continuing on in the same chapter four, <clears throat> we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Okay? Let me go forward here in the notes. Okay? So... As we have this treasure in jars of clay, as we have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, as we have this truth, the Holy Spirit, we have the glory of God inside us and we live our lives, although we may be afflicted in every way, we're afflicted but we're not crushed, there's still something left, we're perplexed. We're confused, we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair because we have the hope of the gospel. And we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken, which means we know that if we're persecuted, this is not outside of God's sovereignty. We know that that God is still with us. We know that persecution is a mark of genuine faith. Uh, So so that's a blessing. And then struck down, but not, not destroyed. So we may be struck down. We may be struck down to death, but we're not destroyed because we know we've got eternal life in, with this light of the knowledge of the glory of God in our hearts. And then verse 16, again, still Second Corinthians 4, verse 16. He kind of gives you, as Paul always does, he gives you like a summary statement once he's finished giving you the primary theology he wants you to know. He says in verse 16, I'll read the whole thing. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So in other words, what he's saying is whatever... Whatever this affliction, this persecution, this tribulation, whatever it is that you're going through in this life, is nothing compared to the glory, the 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 eternality, the blessing of what lies beyond with Christ in heaven. Nothing no, nothing compares to that. So that that gives us the strength we need to endure what is happening down here because we know what awaits us there, and that's that's thinking eternally about things, and, and if we're going to live life as productive, joyful Christians in this, in, this, in this dark world, we have to think eternally, and I know that that is a lot easier said than done, but we have to. We have to live with the understanding that this is not all there is to life, that there is something much more incredible that awaits us, and so we do, we do what we can here. We, we, we read the word of God. We study the word of God. We, we focus on Christ. We try to allow him to, to lead us in our everyday lives. But no matter no matter how hard we apply ourselves diligently to do that, we are still going to struggle in this life through illness, Financial difficulty, relational difficulty, you name it, we're going to have difficulty here. And so we always have to keep the reality. I mean, just like what we're going through right now with this COVID stuff, we always have to remember that this light momentary affliction does not compare to what awaits us in eternity. And so we endure this because we know that is coming. That is Paul's hold. This treasure in jars of clay, that's that's the whole thing he keeps continuing to to drill into our heads. And if we can get that, it will affect our life here and we will live more fully because we know that this is temporary and passing away and that that's eternal. So, okay, enough of that. Comfort in death, we're just building to this. A physical death, chapter 5, means the departure from the body. And these bodies we have are temporary, and they suffer. We just got through talking about all that. So death means we leave these bodies and are immediately in the presence of the Lord. Uh, and he takes you to chapter 5, verse 8. Once again, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Okay? We make it our aim to please him. Then he talks about the reason why we need to live that way, whether we are away or at home, because verse 10, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Do not forget, I'm not going to dwell on this because we hit it really hard last Wednesday, but do not forget, Christians, we will be judged by Christ when we die and go before him. Uh, and we are judged based upon our works as believer in, in this life. Our, our salvation is based on faith in Jesus. So I'm not talking about our salvation. I'm talking about the works. Once we're saved, from the moment we're saved until the moment we die, we will be judged based on our works we have done in the body for eternal reward. That's what I'm talking about. Okay? And, he, and he makes that very clear here. So the aim of Paul's ministry was that men be reconciled. Reconciled with God. Reconciled with each other and reconciled with God. First we're reconciled with God and then that flows into our relationships with one another. Okay? Uh, note verse 17 and underline it in your Bible. 5 verse 17, I'll read that. <clears throat> this is one of those passages that everybody knows uh, that's been a Christian for any length of time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say it with me, he is a new creation. Yes, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I'm just going to keep going because this is great. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God, you get that? God making his appeal through us. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. I mean, what in the world, man? Get your mind around that. Can you do that, Nathan? Get your mind around that? Unbelievably incredible truth. All right, moving forward. In chapter 6... Paul lists 18 trying experiences in ministry. He lists nine contrasts covering all of life in verses 8 through 10. In verses 11 through 18, you read a personal appeal to the Christians at Corinth to be separated from the world. So just to to hit this just for a second, once again, if you're following along, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, notice what he says. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, I'm reading in verse 3, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and affliction. Excuse me, let me start over. By great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, so just just incredible. He gives you just a whole list of um, <clears throat> of difficulties that he as an apostle has endured, uh, that God has enabled through the Holy Spirit being with him to to endure. As as he as, as he is a new creation himself, being able to endure all these different things, uh, and and yet still maintain. Uh, a a humble, serving spirit attitude, okay? Verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness. We talked about this a little bit last week. Um, What this basically means is that Christians uh, should not be yoked or... the, The illustration is from the ancient world, where they would put two animals, if you've ever seen a yoke, there'd be this, this big wooden harness with these, with these shoulder uh, arches on them, and they would drop them over the neck of, of different beasts. And you would never, you normally would never yoke two different beasts together, you would always have two of the same beasts together, like two oxen, and those two oxen would then, would then yoke together to pull the plow uh, to, to, uh, to, to farm, to create rows for a farm. Well, Paul borrows that imagery and he says, We as Christians should never be yoked, yoked together permanently with another Christian. And so, the way, the ultimate interpretation that we've always seen this is in marriage, meaning that <clears throat> Christians should only marry Christians. And, I, and I, I do believe the Bible clearly teaches that. And so, um, so when you think about that, and, this, and you see this a lot. You'll see a Christian go after a non-Christian, believing that they will change that person into a Christian. Not saying it hasn't happened. Uh, not saying it hasn't happened. I'm sure it has. But but more times than not, what happens is, is that when a married couple, when one has a faith in Jesus and the other does not, that is a that is a source of conflict. Uh, so, just simply put, that is the primary the primary application of this passage has always been that the Christians should always uh, should always marry Christians and probably do business with Christians and, and you know, yoke together permanently should be, should be like-minded, you know, in the faith, okay? All right, chapter seven. Now, this is kind of where we left off last week. And um, so let me be sure how I'm doing on time here. Okay, yeah, we're good. All right, <clears throat> verse 10, if we look at chapter seven, Paul's joy, let's go on down to... Let's go on down to verse five, excuse me, verse eight, where he is talking about the first letter that he wrote to them. For even if I made you grieve, once again, I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse eight. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. So he wrote them a harsh letter about everything that was going on in the church that was, that was difficult, and he sends them kind of an admonishment, a corrective letter that probably made them somewhat angry. Uh, if you've ever gotten corrected uh, harshly by somebody, sometimes you get angry about it, and that's what he's saying. Uh, though I did regret it, for I see, I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while, okay? As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. So it's really interesting to see Paul, to see Paul's mind here. I mean, nobody takes pleasure in having to correct someone, especially being harsh with someone. I, I mean, and I think if you do take pleasure in that, you, there's something wrong. Um, but but if the situation is dire enough and you have a, a believer or a group of people that you love that are professing Christians that are clearly drifting outside of the will of God and you have tried lovingly and peacefully to do that, it, you may have to bring some harshness. You, you may have to take it from a general rebuke to a harsh rebuke. Uh, you just may have to do that. And I believe what Paul is saying here is that He he doesn't want to write this harsh letter. He doesn't want to bring grief to them. But if that is necessary to bring them to repentance, then so be it. So verse 9, he says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. So it was the fruit of the grievance that he's rejoicing over, which was repentance. Repentance. And all of us need to shout a hallelujah when someone repents over something they've done outside of the will of God. So he, then he writes, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So what, very, very interesting what he says here. So he's basically saying that there's two types of grief based on what he is teaching in 2 Corinthians. He is saying that there is a godly grief and that there is a worldly grief. And the godly grief actually leads you to repentance. So it is a deep conviction of of sin wrought on by the Holy Spirit that brings you to a place of repentance. Worldly grief is different. Worldly grief is kind of like a, you know, I've, I've gotten in trouble, I'm in trouble now, and I've got to save my own hide, so I'm going to tell everybody what they want to hear, and I'm, you know, I'm, going, to, I'm going to, you know, pray one, two, three, get me out of this, then I'm going to go right back to living the way I was living. Okay, that, that's, that's worldly grief and worldly sorrow. Paul's talking about godly grief. And the, the two examples that you can look up on this, <clears throat> Judas in Matthew 27, I'm not going to go there and go into all that because we don't have time, but you can write this down. Judas in Matthew chapter 27 clearly has worldly grief that leads him to commit suicide for betraying Jesus, okay? And if you look at Peter in John 21, Peter denied Christ three times, but at the end, he came back around, came to true repentance, came to Christ again, and Christ reinstated him. Two excellent examples of those two realities. So look that up. You'll you'll really enjoy that. I remember... Years ago, when I discovered that, I don't remember what theologian was that pointed it out, but it was it was it was great to, to to learn that. Okay, all right. So chapters eight and nine, moving on. Now these two chapters give us detailed instructions on Christian giving. Christian giving. So so this is not just uh, tithing as the Old Testament principle that we see, and then the New Testament principle kind of takes it a little further into sacrificial giving. Uh, this is, Paul is given the, the advice. Here is 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 a little bit different than than those two positions. Okay, so let's just read what he has here, uh, verses one through six. He says, "Giving is a what? Giving is a grace, and God wants you and God wants me fully before we bring Him anything, right? So before we bring a gift, He wants us. He wants us fully, and and." I think where you say that, I believe it's in Luke where he says, if you, have a, if you have an issue with a fellow brother or sister, before you put your gift on the altar, go be reconciled, then go put your gift on the altar. So he wants, he wants your relationship right with him, and he wants your relationship right with others before you bring your gift to him. I think that's, that's the order in which God wants you, okay? Uh, then in verses 7 through 15, <clears throat> 7 through 15, He gives us the principles, the principles of Christian giving. And notice that Dr. Stringfellow says, not rules, okay, not rules. So this is, um, you're giving to the church, and I can't emphasize this enough. It does not need to be out of um, compulsion. You know, I I have to do this. Man, God's going to be mad at me if I don't do this. That's That's not the heart of God in this. God wants you to want to give to him and give to his church out of love and out of an appreciation for who he is and what he's done for you. It's, it's not about a rule, okay? It's not about a rule. It's about love and it's about appreciation. To me, it's, it's I mean, I can remember when I first started giving back right after I got saved, I didn't, have, I didn't have a whole lot of money at all. I mean, I barely had any money at all, but, I, but I'd been taught that. I saw it in the Word of God, and I'm like, you know what? God has done so much for me. I mean, I can never repay him if I gave him every penny I had. If I gave everything, I could never repay him for what he's done for me through Christ. And so out of that heart, you give what God has asked for, uh, in, in giving okay that, that, that's the heart you need in this so number one he says to give proportionately in verses 12 through 14 so let's read that <clears throat> for if the readiness is there once again i'm in second corinthians chapter 8 verses 12 through 14 for if the readiness is there it is acceptable according to what a person has not according to what he does not have I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Okay, so you give proportionately. I mean, if you're a millionaire you're going to be given a whole lot more money than somebody who is poor. I mean, I mean that's just the way it is, what Paul means by that. Uh, if you have plenty, more than enough, you should give more than somebody who does not. It's just a general principle. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he says that you should give bountifully. So let's see what he says there. The point is this. Uh, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So what does that mean? That means that if you give large, you're going to reap large. Now... Is that a prosperity gospel principle? Absolutely not. That is because the prosperity gospel preacher will tell you that if you will send me $1,000, I will send you $5,000. That is not what Paul is teaching here. There is no telling. He doesn't, he doesn't explain to you exactly how it will be returned to you. Most of the time, if you give heavily, what is returned to you is a spiritual harvest and not a financial harvest. I don't know if you've noticed that, but throughout my life, I've given, I've given, I've given a consistently and faithfully to the church for years. But I mean I I, I mean I, I'm not rich at all. I mean I mean not at all. Um, so so just remember that. That when you give to God, he wants you to give bountifully. He wants you to give and what you will receive, you will receive you will reap bountifully, but it is not always materialism. Many times they are spiritual blessings that you will receive. Then just keep that in mind, okay? <clears throat> give cheerfully second corinthians nine verse seven each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, so we give proportionately, we give bountifully, and we give cheerfully i mean don 't begrudgingly bring uh, an offering to the church and have to like you know pry your fingers you know off of it with a with a wrench or something. I mean, you should, you should take out your checkbook or, or however you do it and, and with a big smile on your face and say, God, I love you. Thank you so much for, for everything you've done in my life. You know, here is my offering to your kingdom and to your church and may the gospel continue to prosper, uh, you know, you know through, through this sacrificial act. Thank you, Lord. I mean, that's, that's, the, way, that's the way it should be, okay? Um, note, he says, note 2 Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich do you see that principle so paul is rooting everything he's taught in who jesus leaving his place of comfort majesty honor and coming to earth divested himself of heaven to come to earth to live here so that we could be saved it's 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 amazing principle okay he puts in a couple of other, um, other scriptures in here. Uh, Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Uh, same principle that he said here about bountifully. If you, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Same principle, okay? Uh, Romans 12.8, he puts this one in here for us. The one who exhorts... In his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The reason why I put that in there is the one who contributes. How do you contribute? Generously. Be generously. And give, give, give more than is required, if you want to look at it that way. Okay? All right, Paul's defense of his apostleship, the last, the last few chapters here. Um, <clears throat> in this section, Paul is forced... Forced to answer in reference to his own apostleship. Um, notice he uses force there. Because Paul was not one to go around bragging about, about his life. The only time he did that was when he came under persecution or came under question. Because he knew how important his call was as an apostle. To, to explain the Abrahamic promise, how it has come through Uh, abraham come through and been fulfilled in christ so so he understood that when his apostleship came under fire came under question he he had to share the knowledge he had with them to convince them that he knew what he was talking about and that he had the stripes to to prove that he'd been persecuted uh, for the truth in which in which he brought so that that's what's going on here um, and it, and some, of this, some of this vocabulary, is it's just it's strange and it's hard to understand. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but that's, that's basically what's going on here. Okay? Paul's boasting <clears throat> was in the who? Lord, and not for his own edification. Dr. Stringfellow gives us chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8. For even if I boast a little too much for our authority which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you I will not be ashamed. Okay so his boasting is in, is in the Lord. Look up 2 Corinthians 10:12 and I've got that here for you. 2 Corinthians 10:12. Flip there for you. Okay and it says not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves and these would be the false apostles that Paul is talking about, that, that harassed him his whole ministry. So he's saying, I'm not, I'm not comparing myself to them, <clears throat> with some of those who are committing themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves to one another, they're without understanding. In other words, they have no idea why they're doing what they're doing because they don't have the truth. I have the truth, I, I, I have the word from the Lord Jesus Christ, not them. They're false apostles, okay? <clears throat> and again, to understand the full punch of that, you really have to read the whole chapter and have, have kind of studied and follow, followed the whole, the whole letter. You know, it's like, it's like I've always said, whenever you, you know, whenever you open a letter up, how many of us, like so let's say the letter that you receive from somebody's three pages long, I mean, how many of us go to the middle of the second page and start reading? We don't do that. We start at the very beginning and we read all the way through if we want to know exactly what the, what the author is saying. Same thing here. If you want to understand these bits and pieces of what we're talking about in, in these, uh, following these themes in the Bible, you have to go back and read the whole letter, take notes and understand it that way. So again, we're just doing a survey, a survey of the, of the, of the letters here. Okay? <clears throat> so Paul's defense in chapter 11 is very personal, very personal. He paid his own way. Uh, 2 Corinthians eleven 9, let's look at that verse. <clears throat> uh, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Okay, making sure people understood that he was not a freeloader. I mean, he wasn't using his... His knowledge of the scripture. He wasn't using who he was and his popularity among the churches to to, to use churches for financial gain. He did the best he could to to um, to, to generate things. As, as you know, he was a tent maker. We know that from the book of Acts. So he did the very the very best he could to generate generate his own support through his years, and not and not you know so that he could not be uh, accused of of you know freeloading, so to speak, off the churches. Uh, his life is given in graphic detail in 2 Corinthians 11, 16 through 33. We can read some of that. Let's do that. Uh, let's see here. Um, let's see where we want to start. Let's see. Let's go to verse 23. So go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. Now, he is referring to the false apostles, okay? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. (laughs) You like that? With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews and the 40, 40 lashes less one. Now, one of the reasons why I think he says, I'm talking like a madman, is who brags about all the beatings that they've took? You know, I mean, that's just kind of crazy that you walk around bragging on how I was beaten for something. You know, I did this and I got beat for it, but Paul says he's bragging on this because he was beaten for a purpose, because he was taking the truth of the gospel. So this he says. I'm talking like a madman because, I mean, who, who brags on getting beat up? Well, he does. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety. For all the churches, who is weak, and I am not weak; who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Man, that's that is that is powerful. Okay, we'll stop there. So he asked a question. If you just listen to all that, how would you go? How would you go through such things if they came your way? How would you go through those things if they came your way? All, all those things that he just listed. I mean, very few of us have been through a third that Paul just listed there, and he went through all that for the gospel. I mean, most of the time, we, we are not willing to, to, to say no to some type of fun activity because we're committed to church. Or sometimes we, we, we just we won't sacrifice anything for the gospel or for our church. It's like we want, we want the mammon, we want to serve two masters, we want to serve money, and we want to serve the church. Well, Paul understood that you, that you, 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 can't, you can't serve them both you, you, because you will wind up hating one of them. So you have to do one or the other. And he chose Christ and he chose the church and the, these, all these persecutions that he had because of that. So how would we go through them if they came our way? Would we endure them well as Paul did? Or would we prove ourselves not worthy? Which one would they be? Note verses 22 through 28. I think we've already done those. Yeah, we did those, okay. In chapter 12, one through 10, we see the inner life of the great champion of faith. Chapter 12, getting near the end here. There's only uh, 13, I believe, yep. In chapter 12, one through 10, uh, in verses two through seven, Paul says, "That should be about 14 years ago, not above." Um, so let's attempt um, what let's do since we've got we're, 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 we're OK on time. Uh, I'm just going to read, read here with you. So if you have your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll just begin reading in verse one. you want to follow along. Let me take a little drink here. Paul says, "I must go on boasting. And remember when he says that, he's boasting about what God has done in him, not what, not what he has done of his own power, but what God has done. There's a huge difference there. <clears throat> Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And this is when he talks about himself in third person. This has, always been, or, uh, this has always been so interesting to me. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up To the third heaven whether in the body or out of the body i do not know now the third heaven the way the ancients understood that and this is really neat stuff to understand three heavens the first heaven was viewed as from here on earth up to the clouds and the blue sky that was the first heaven the second heaven was from the from above the clouds above the blue sky above the earth into the known universe that you can see into space. That was the second heaven. And the third heaven was beyond space into the abode of God, wherever that is, heaven, okay? So he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, we, we think that the 14 years ago was, was, when, he was <clears throat> when he was converted on the Damascus Road, and he was led to Damascus to the street call straight and Ananias laid his, his hands on him and then he went and the scales fell off his eyes and then he went into Arabia for three years. Uh, most conservative scholars equate the three years that he was missing in Arabia to the three years that the 12 apostles spent with Jesus, except there's one big difference. The 12 apostles basically spent time with Jesus in the flesh and for a very short time after his resurrection. But Paul spent three years with the resurrected Christ. If, if we understand all that correctly, Paul spent three years with the resurrected Christ. And it was during those times that these revelations were given to him. <clears throat> so he says, caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. So he's like, you know, I don't know if my body was, if my body was caught up there or if I was just on earth and he gave me these visions, I'm not, I'm not sure if I would had like an out-of-body experience or he just, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't know. God knows, he says. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Jesus said the, I believe the same word to the thief on the cross in Luke. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man May not utter. So Paul experienced these things, and when he came back, it sounds like he was commanded not to go into detail about what he saw. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Man, you see, see here the humility in him, just, just, just the, how careful he is with what he's been given from God. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too he says, then I am strong. So, again, incredible. He is caught up to heaven, paradise. He is given these revelations. And because he has this incredible knowledge, God then gave him a thorn, Paul says. A thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being to elated. Isn't that interesting? So Shelby interpretation. Paul in his knowledge as a rabbi, in his incredible conversion, his powerful preaching, the revelation he's given from Christ, the resurrected Christ, through all that, Christ gave him a Something in the flesh, some people think it was a disability, some people, some people think it was Bell's palsy, a stutter, uh, eyesight that was bad, we, 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 we don't know what the thorn was, no one knows, there have been entire books written on this topic, but whatever it was, Satan gave him a thorn to keep him humble, to keep him humble. And then it says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's really, that's really incredible because in our day and time, we tend to gravitate toward the more charismatic, handsome, beautiful, perfect teachers that draw huge crowds that are just incredibly dynamic and just you know, go viral paul on the other hand clearly god kept him broke down and humble so that that did not happen that is a valuable learning experience for us in this letter to second corinthians okay so so just think paul had not mentioned this for 14 years i love the way dr stringfellow pointed that out that he said this 14 years 14 years ago, was caught up to the third heaven. The he, first time he writes about it, 14 years. He wrote about it in Galatians 2, I believe. All right, continuing on. <clears throat> my grace is sufficient for you. We've already read all that. I'll pass, pass on by that. So remember, my means who? God. God's grace. And grace is what? Unearned favor. That's what grace is policeman pulls you over, you're speeding, you deserve a ticket, he lets you go. Do you deserve to be let go? No, you deserve to be given what? You deserve to be given a ticket. If you're, if you're caught breaking a law and you go to the judge and you plead your case and the judge gives, you, judge gives you a reduced sentence, the judge has extended to you grace. Do you deserve it? No, it's unearned favor. So my God's grace, unearned favor is, means right now, the present is sufficient. More than enough for us. More than enough for Paul. And if it was more than enough for Paul, it is certainly more than enough for us. Paul gladly gloried in the infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Man, that is just, that is great. So we, we so we. We spend most of our time trying to get smarter and better and learn and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus says, my power is actually shown in your weakness, not in your strength, not in your perfection, not in your knowledge, not in your muscles, not in this, not in that. But my strength is shown in your weakness. Wow. It's just such a reversal of what most of us think every day, you know. Chapter 13, final chapter, and then we'll be finished and we'll do prayer. He says, finally, examine yourself, whether you are in the faith, prove your own selves." So if you look at 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, yeah, that's where he is. <clears throat> examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. And I'll just, just read this. Let's see what he says. Yeah, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just read it examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith did y'all hear that examine yourselves that's paul telling corinth examine yourselves you got all this sin going on in the church you kind of got the resurrection kind of confused in your head because there's a big teaching on that in first Corinthians 15. so you need to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith and that's something that all of us myself everybody needs to do regularly, is to examine our lives according to the scripture to make sure that we are in the faith. He even says, test yourselves, test yourselves, okay? Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, him meaning him and the apostles, the true, the true apostles. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. Man, that's, that's so, man, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you. Now listen to this. That when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. So he's given them this whole letter and at the very end of it, examine examine yourself. Test yourselves. Is Christ in you? All these sins that you've been dealing with all this time, test yourselves. Because when I come, I don't wanna have to be severe as he talked about earlier. He doesn't want to give a harsh admonishment to make them grieve, but hey, if it worked and brought them to godly uh, sorrow, so be it. That's kind of what he's saying. He doesn't want to use his authority to be severe. Again, nobody wants to do that. If anybody takes pleasure out of being severe with their authority, something is bad wrong, bad, wrong with the heart of that individual. But there are times when we have to be severe with our authority. We have to, Okay finally, brothers, I'm at uh, 2 Corinthians 13, final few verses, verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another. Is that word again? Comfort. Agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And here's one of my favorite ones. Greet each other with a holy what? Kiss. Kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. All right. Questions. <clears throat> what is the central message of 2 Corinthians? Comfort in God and Christ. Why does God allow suffering and tribulation to create comforters in us to once we are once we have suffered and we have gone through tribulation, then we can offer comfort to those that are suffering and in tribulation. Where does the Christian go at death? To be with who? Christ, period. What does Paul teach about separation for the Christian? We're only supposed to marry, um, only supposed to marry Christians. And giving is a grace. Does God want your money or you? He wants you first, then your money. You first, then then your money so if you go around thinking all the time well i'm not gonna i don't want to be a member of the church because all the church wants is my money you have totally missed it the church wants you because the church is christ and christ wants you first and then you are supposed to give of what he has blessed you with so all right let's do prayer now Um, i'm gonna take this down uh nathan you ready Okay, it's down it goes, and I'm going to close it up and scoot it up here. All right, prayer requests. And I am not watching the live feed, so if you're putting prayer requests on the live feed, I will get them off tomorrow and update the prayer sheet uh, for you, okay? So it's hard to do all of that up here at the same time. Okay, I'm going to to read through the most recent ones that I have here and then give you some announcements and then we'll call it a night, okay? Um, Ann Grobner is recovering from her shoulder surgery. I think she is doing well. I think the pain has been reduced. Um, Marie Carney is in the last stages of hospice care. Uh, She is refusing to eat and the family has been notified that we couldn't be near the end, so please be praying for the Tomlinson's as they provide for her and and and, and uh, serve her. Uh, Tommy Barton is recovering uh, from a fractured kneecap. Linda Crossland, as we know, had uh, had hip replacement surgery about a week ago. She's in a lot of pain from surgery. I think that there are some uh, meals being taken to her. I think Kim Morgan is is uh, coordinating that. Uh, Cecilia Peach has some uh, has some spinal surgery coming up. I believe on September the fourteenth is what Dick told me, so we need to be praying for the Peach family. She's been in pain, most of you know, for, for a good long time. Um, Leah Robinson, the four-year-old great-granddaughter of Rita Smith, um, has leukemia, Is gotten leukemia. Uh, Ronald Tucker, the cousin of Mark Cantrell, uh, is in ICU, we need to be praying for him. Uh, Jody Allen uh, is uh, a sister of Lindy Smith's and is grieving the sudden loss of her, of, of, uh, her family member. And then we have some uh, COVID symptoms, and also, um, uh, pray for Dodie. Doty had an injection into her vocal cords, a long-awaited injection into her vocal cords. As you know, she's had a speech, uh, a vocal problem for years, and uh, she, we're hoping that that goes well because she wants to begin singing again, so be, be sure to pray for her. Um, Dale and Melissa Braswell, uh, pray for them. They both have COVID. They've been putting uh, some statements on um, uh, facebook asking for prayer Uh, i talked to melissa the other day Uh, they do have family support uh so they're okay but they've got covid and they're they're just they're not they're not improving so we need to remember them bob and beverly carmack were uh tested positive for covid within the past week uh dj carter is having an infusion, I believe, Friday to help him get over the hump with COVID. He's hanging in there, but uh, he's still running fever and still sick, so we need to remember him, and that's been going on several days. Uh, Shane and Jennifer Hunter, and they are, I believe, kin to uh, Judy Gardner. They have COVID, so we need to keep them in prayer. Uh, Or maybe maybe they're not family. I can't remember... Um, but we need to remember them, Shane and Jennifer Hunter and their sons, and uh, Shane is having an infusion this week. We need to remember Kayla, Tyler, Kayla and Levi, Malayans. I know that they, they've got COVID. Uh, Joe and Megan, uh, the cousins of Deanna Campbell, they are still struggling, still struggling. We've been praying for them for, for about two weeks now. Um, Joe, Joe Pady and family, the nephew of, of uh, Galen Shine, we need to remember him, and then Brandon Strickland, uh, was um, uh, tested positive for COVID today. So please remember all of them in prayer. Um, and I'll, I'll pray here in just a moment. Uh, and obviously, we need to pray for the Christians in Afghanistan. There's just so much to talk about there. Uh, it's just, it is just, um, it's just wild what's going on in Afghanistan. I don't even know where to begin on that. Announcements, let's see if anything, uh, just to be sure everybody knows. The collection for Lighthouse Christian Camp ends this Sunday. Team ministry sign-ups. We have put out a questionnaire for you this year. And this questionnaire makes you think a little bit. Uh, team ministries and, and, the, um, and how we form those here at our church and getting people in the right places is very important. I realize that this is a little involved. Um, but uh, it, it it purposefully digs a little deep into your heart and into your mind, makes you think uh, so that we can get a little bit more consistency uh, more broadly in our ministry teams for the next year. So if you have not gotten one of these, please fill this out because we will begin our team ministry uh, push very, very soon. Uh, we have to have all that done you know before the end of the year. so please remember that uh, it's not that it's not that involved. It just t- it'll probably take you. About about 30 minutes, if you'll sit down and go over this and read the, the current Parkway teams, the description of the teams are on these two pages. And then there's just a series of questions here that will help us as a staff to understand your heart and your desires a little bit more deeply so we can help you pick the right place to serve, okay? So please, if you have not filled this out, grab one, take it home, um, you know, cut the TV off for an hour and get in a quiet quiet spot, read the scriptures, pray, and ask God to lead you and fill you know fill this out. It's, it's this is important. Your team ministries at this church are the ministry arm of, of what's done here. So if they are not functioning well, the church ministries are not going to function well. So please remember that. Okay, just 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 trying to put put a put a put a, put a little emphasis on that tonight. <clears throat> um, Steve Krell's ordination service and send off will be this Sunday, provided that we do not have more infections. Uh, happened this week. That's why we uh, said at the beginning. That's why we um, we uh, uh, suspended tonight's service in the hope that we wouldn't bring people that didn't know they were infected into the church and spread it spread it more. We have no idea uh, how many more may be out there. So we are trying to trying to be cautious uh, as as a, as a church staff to 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 be sure we can come together Sunday. Okay. So remember that we will have if if Sunday happens. Um, we will We will pray over Steve when he when he leads his final service this Sunday morning, and then that night at five o 'clock we will have an ordination service. All ordained deacons are, are are invited to come to lay hands on Steve. I believe hopefully Sarah will be here as well and then Steve will br- actually bring us a word i 'll speak just for a few minutes out of first Timothy on the uh, t- on the um, uh, elder uh, ordination passage out, out of that out of that letter. And then Steve will speak for a few minutes. Then when we're done with that, we'll have the laying on of hands. Then we will have cake and ice cream fellowship after that. So please, all the church is invited. The whole church is invited to come to that. So if you would like to be a part of that, please come and bid the crawls farewell. As far as we know, at this particular time, <clears throat> the Show Me the Father movie at Malco is still on for next Wednesday. So just keep that in mind. Other than that, I think everything else is, uh, um, I think um, Walter Bowen said that the men's weekly red zone fellowship at the, uh, tomorrow morning will be, will be canceled until further notice, until this little wave of infections gets in the rearview mirror. So uh, that is all I have. I'm going to say a, a prayer and then we will be dismissed, or <laughs> listen to me, be dismissed. You can sign off and, uh, and, have, and enjoy your night. Thank you so much uh, for tuning in. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you've heard all the prayer needs we have in our congregation. Lord the most urgent one we have or any of those that are fighting for their life in the hospital due to COVID or other or other um other health issues. So Father, we pray for all of all of our brothers and sisters and family of brothers and sisters that are suffering and struggling. Uh Lord, we pray that that this um at this COVID surge, Father would would, would stop, that we would have no more infections, Lord. But if we do, I pray that you, that you would give us the wisdom we need as a staff and as a congregation to respond as, as we have in the past uh, with wisdom, with prudence, not with panic and fear, uh, but in faith and strength. Father, again, thank you so much uh, for this night, the privilege of, uh, of, of, um, of having this wonderful church uh, to call me their pastor and to, uh, to bring them the word of God tonight. I just thank you so much for that. Also, thanks, thank you so much for, um, for, the, for the weekend, this past weekend, uh, the, the birthday party celebration, all that, Lord. I just thank you so much for all that came and, uh, and, support, and supported our family that night. So, Father, again, I thank you so much for your love and grace to us, and I ask that you give us a good night of rest and help us uh, get up tomorrow and be joyful in the Lord. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. And a shout-out to Nathan for being here tonight. Thank you, Nathan. All right, good night. Love y'all. Good night, everybody.